My subject this morning is self-life for Christ's life. And you often hear me say that what I teach is the exchange life in Christ. And that's what it is. It's the self-life exchange for Christ's life. The truth about mankind is this. Everyone comes into this world spiritually dead. Separated from the life of God. In, for, er, excuse me, in John 20, 31, the Bible says this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. What God offers to humanity is life. Why life? Well, because we were born spiritually dead. And the ultimate result of believing the gospel is the impartation of eternal life. In John 5, 21... The Bible says, For just as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. John 5, 39 and 40. The Bible says this, You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify of me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Throughout the New Testament, we read promises regarding the new life in Christ. In 2 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, Paul said this, as an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So Christ has come to give us life. That's what being a Christian is all about. A new life, Christ's life. In Colossians 3, 3 and 4, it says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will appear with him in glory. Through Christ's death, we were saved from our sin. But through his resurrection, we were given the gift of righteousness and eternal life. The Spirit of God now lives in the born-again believer. God has made a way. His life to be injected back into man, a restoration of his original intent for mankind. God created Adam in his own image. Adam and Eve were created spiritually alive. We were created, we were born spiritually dead. They were offered the chance to step outside and they, they wanted to find out what life was. 
They wanted the right to choose right and wrong. Is that so bad? You and I have that right to choose between right and wrong. But they stepped outside of a dependent relationship with God. And they wanted that independent relationship with God. They wanted it because they were told that they would become like God. They wanted to know what was right and what was wrong. And they wanted to be able to choose what is right. In Genesis 3, 5, it says, When you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The fall in the garden is due to Satan's cunning as he tempted the first humans to abandon God and choose human effort. And as a result of Adam and Eve's choice, every person is born into the world spiritually dead. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible indicates that we are all sinners by nature. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, the moment of our conversion, what in your mind what of Christ did we receive? The Bible says we received his life. Remember, the ultimate result of believing the gospel is the impartation of eternal life. The good news, mankind will never lose his life. Why? Because Christ is eternal. Christ lives in you. Notice what Jesus said to Martha about the death of her, her brother Lazarus. In John eleven twenty five twenty six, 26, the Bible says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? My question to you this morning is, do you believe this? Do you believe that you will never die. You'll never die spiritually again. There are two roads in the Christian life. One leads to the path of good intentions. It's filled with broken hearts, robbing them from hope, trying to please God through self-effort, man-made religion, beating them down. Some have become bitter, cynical, and filled with anxiety. Some of God's most passionate, gifted, dedicated servants went down that road, despondent almost all their life, went down that road of good intentions. I think of Mother Teresa, the Catholic nun. She served for over 40 years to the sick and the homeless and the orphans in India. When they read her diary after she passed away, this is what she wrote. I am told that God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Martin Luther's struggle with his religion is well documented. Despite his lifestyle of commitment 
He constantly was overcome with guilt. There are times he beat himself. Saul, before he became Paul, wrestled under a religious system that brought no real satisfaction, no accomplishment, but only misery. It's not a good picture, that road that leads to good intentions. No one matures in bitterness. No one gets free from isolation. No one heals rehashing the testimonies of a bad religion. And no one gets to love or be loved in self-protection. The pain is real. And when you are struggling, it's hard to trust God. I can remember not too many years ago when my wife was, was dying. And I can recall when she called me to her bedside and she said to me, honey, would you go over it again? And she was beginning to think about dying. And she's thinking about judgment. She was thinking about all sorts of things that were going through her mind. And I said, sure. And so I read her all the wonderful promises of salvation. And then I closed with reading to her Ephesians 1, 13. The whole, I, in fact, I read the whole book, but when I got to Ephesians 1.13, I said, Judy, I said, the Bible says that you are sealed under the day of redemption. No one can break that seal. You can't break it. Nobody can. It's God's seal. He sealed you until the day of redemption. And I'll never forget when I finished the chapter on Ephesians, she says, oh, she says, it is true, isn't it? And I said, indeed it is. Indeed it is. The following day, she had passed away. It's true. Indeed it is. It's all true. But we still struggle. And like I told her, I said, you're going through exactly what Jesus went through when he was on the cross. His humanity came and he said, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you left me here alone? The pain is real when we are struggling. It's not easy to convince ourselves that we can never resolve our sins by working at it. That is part of the pain. Nothing's working. Most Christians discover that there is a real crisis. Some live from crisis to crisis. We all know what a crisis is. Since most of us by nature resist to change, it usually takes a crisis to force us to reevaluate life, to reevaluate what we believe and what we should do. And what we don't do. Crisis can either make a person bitter or better. Most good Christians try to avoid any challenge to their Christian beliefs. Often, they never question the ready-made standards and lifestyles of a particular group. 
And the more they conform to these standards, it seems like, the more reward and acceptance they receive. And that can be very meaningful. Now, a believer who is steeped in legalism is seeking acceptance by God and others based on what he does. Those individuals become very disenchanted. With the entire demands placed on them, they, they just can't figure life out. I had a very dear friend who was very legalistic. And I mean, he was to the letter of the law. He had five children. And to me, he was a wonderful Christian man. But he was very judgmental, because that's what legalism does. You become very judgmental. The more legalistic you are, the more judgmental you become. And we, we parted company. Uh, I was called to another area. And I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. And then I saw him at a camp meeting. And he said to me, he said, I asked him how things were going. He said, well, he said, not real well right now. He said, uh, God has spoken to me and told me to leave my wife and my five children. And I said, God told you that. He said, yes. I says, I think you need to go back and figure out who's talking to you. I'm not so sure it is God. We can become very bitter and we can become very disenchanted and we can give up this strict lifestyle and try to find freedom. And I've known thousands that have. And when they don't find freedom... They mostly, they become involved in a life of sin. Trying too hard or not trying at all is both self-effort. An overemphasis and obedience on law at the expense of grace is legalism and it's very dangerous. It is a lack of understanding of scriptural identity and acceptance that forces almost a believer to attempt to establish a counterfeit system to meet his own needs. And often they even seek God's approval to do it. Christians are continually trying to change their lives. You know that part of the personality that strives through self-effort to control their lives? The flesh being what it is keeps trying on revisions of every other type of program that there is. And they all lead to a crisis in their life. Christianity is not a self-improvement program. It is not a reformation project. It is a new life. It is a resurrection life. When the truth of acceptance and identity is presented, the exchange life, the self-life for Christ's life, is the only way out. It's the only answer. 
Most of us have been down the road of good intentions. It's not easy for those of us who believed that self-made excellence makes the man. At times, I think that grace is a gift that only the non-religious can accept. For four years, I went to Lorton Prison. I ministered there for four years. When they came to understand grace, I, I realized the environment was totally changed. But they seemed to get it quicker. Because they did the crime, now they're doing the time. And then when they hear that God will not hold their sins against them, there's hope. There's hope for them. I was going through the book of Revelation. There was a, one of the prisoners there. Was, he was blind. Well, he could see just a little. He could make it out. Everything was fuzzy. He got hit in the head. There was a, a, a riot, and he got hit in the head with a, with a machete, it cut his skull, and, um, but he loved to hear the Bible. He couldn't see very well, and when I'd come into the chapel, and I would say something to one of the prisoners, he'd go, is that you, Revelations? Is that you? And I said, yeah, that's me, that's me. But I enjoyed the ministry up there because they seemed to be so hungry for the gospel. Today... It seems like they're the only ones that get it. Re religious folks, they see grace as too soft. It's almost like Christianity light. They just see it as a license to sin. And so far, as I said before, nobody needs a license. They're doing all right without it. They seem to think that too much grace is dangerous. So they keep trying to manage their junk with their own willpower and tenacity. One of, the, one of our greatest fears is that we would be out of control. But the truth is we were never made to be in control. That's the truth. The reason that Christ lives within a person through the Holy Spirit is to produce a self-control that we're not afraid of. That we can trust that God is going to control us. That God is going to lead us. I was talking to an individual here this past week. He says he's been a Christian for over 15 years. And he said, I live in fear every day. I'm fearful that if God comes, that if Christ comes, I will not be ready. And I said, really? You live in fear every day? I said, did you know that Christ promised you? He made a promise to you that he started a good work in you and he's going to finish it? That he will never leave you nor forsake you? Have you heard those scriptures? Yes, he says, I have. But I just never have felt. And I said, well, you need to go by fact, not by feeling. The facts are, you're going to spend eternity with him. 
I said, that ought to make you very excited that he's not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's going to be with you always, even to the very end. Now, most of us, we are maturing in Christ. Some of us are a little slower than others, but that's okay. God is in no hurry. But some of us are weary about always living under a pretentious life. It seems like we can't be real with each other. It seems like we're afraid to, to say some, to, to, to tell somebody that I have doubts, I have questions. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. Truth will set us free. Air is what binds us. The third John, three John, verse four, I have no greater joy than, they, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy. What is the truth? Well, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we have been given a standard of total acceptance before God. According to Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. Romans 5.9, we are saved from God's wrath. Romans 8.1, we will never face the judgment. We've already passed through the judgment. In Hebrews 10.14, we're made perfect forever. Now, that's a hard text for all of us. We're made perfect forever. Do you feel perfect? No. Do you behave perfectly? No. But are you perfect? Yes. That's how God sees you. Philippians 3.20 says that we are made citizens of heaven. We have all the evidence that we need to tell us we are safe and secure in Christ. That should bring us a certain amount of joy that nothing else can. To wake up knowing, to go to sleep knowing that I'm safe and secure in Christ. And it's not by my performance, it's by Christ's performance on the cross. When he went to the cross, he died for the sins of the world died for us that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. The believer who is constantly walking in truth will not need crisis. Now, the Bible talks about crisis. They can be good for us because it helps us reevaluate life. It helps us to look at what we're doing and what we're believing. Those things all help. But the more that you're walking in truth, the less crisis you will see in your life. We will discover the unbelievable life of living careful and carefree because we realize that our God loves us even on our worst day. Now here is where we come in. 
as a fellowship. There are millions going down the path of good intentions. I, as a preacher, for 15 years walked down that path of good intentions. There are a lot of wonderful Christian people that are walking down that path of good intentions. And I found that there's something very exciting and beautiful given to those who set out to find those people. You can find them almost anywhere. I spent the last four years of my life visiting other churches in West Virginia. I was a Baptist one month or one week, a Presbyterian the next, Methodist the next, Church of the Brethren the next, Jehovah Witness. I went to all of them because it's a dream that I always had. As an evangelist, I always thought, I, I want to do that. And then when my wife passed away, I thought, well, now I can do it. And so I've done it for four years. And I wanted to find out the content of what people are hearing in the pew. And believe me, I am convinced that everyone who's called to the ministry are called. There's no other reason to go into it. I remember, I think it was Spurgeon who said that if you can avoid going into the ministry, by all means, avoid it. He says, but if you can't, that's where God wants you. So I've been in all these different churches for four years. And I've listened to the content of the preaching. And it got so that I could almost tell you the problem of the church by the sermon. In the last 20 or so years, maybe 25 years, there's been a great emphasis placed on grace. There's never been this emphasis before since Martin Luther's day. A great emphasis placed on it. For 15 years as a preacher, I confess to you that I mixed law and grace. And for the past four years, that's what I've heard, a mixture of law and grace. It's one thing to preach about the grace of God. And then it's another thing to put everybody back under the law. And that's what I'm seeing that was done. If I was, oftentimes, I would sit in the pew and I would think, why would anybody come back? All that guilt that was placed upon them that they were not doing, that they were not performing, why would they come back? But they do. They do every week. Why? Is it that they don't understand? Or is it something that, that's just unbelievably wrong? I don't know that I have all the answers, but I certainly do have an answer on grace. By grace are you saved through faith. Faith is believing. Faith is trusting. 
So I need to trust that what God says is true. We have a, a wonderful opportunity here. We can establish a church that's called the Grace Place or the Place of Grace. One that teaches what Jesus taught about grace. We can introduce people to a place where God and I live together along with all those who dare trust that God sees us this way. That God sees us perfect. It takes a great deal of trust to believe that. That God lives in us. It takes a great deal of trust to believe that. That God actually lives in me. That I don't need anybody, anyone, to tell me what to do because the Spirit of God lives in me and He will tell me. As you know, I've been going to a gym every morning, five days a week. I go there to lift weights because as a farmer, I need to be strong. So I go there, and I, I soon found out that it turned out to be a wonderful ministry. All of a sudden, a weightlifter came up to me, and he said, somebody told me that you were a preacher. I said, well, don't hold that against me. He said, no. He said, no. He said, that's good. And I said, good. I'm glad that it is. And I said to him, I said, do you, do you have a question on your mind? Because he said, you're a preacher. He says, yes, I do. He says, I've, and then he began to describe to me what he had heard. And I said to him, where did you hear that? And he told me, I said, oh, I've been there. I've been there six times, I think it was. I says, it's a great place. It's a wonderful place. It's a good church. And he says, but I don't understand about this whole idea about this grace thing. And I said, well, I said, I, I know a little bit about it, and I'll be glad to share it with you. And I did. And then from that day on, when I come into that gym, before I leave, I'm on my way out. I say goodbye to everybody. This fellow comes up to me and says, hey, before you leave, can you have prayer for us? And then he calls all the other weightlifters. Come on, Gary's going to pray for us, he says. No matter where we go, no matter what we do. I went to pay my taxes up in Romney. And I had my tax bill and I had my check made out. And she says, I can't take that. And I says, why is that? She said, well, she says, you haven't paid last year's. Oh, I said, I did. No, you didn't pay at all. 
I said, well, I paid what they told me to pay. No, you didn't pay at all. And I start thinking, what in the world's going on? I said, no, no, I paid my taxes. No, you didn't. And she said, I can't take this until you pay for this. And I was frustrated. And I said, ma'am, I said, can I speak to the supervisor? And she said, well, you really owe it. I said, okay, but could I speak to the supervisor? Yes, the supervisor came. And um, I explained to her that I paid my taxes. She said, when did you buy the farm? And I told her, and she says, well, she said, you, you may have not paid that half of it because something, it happens in July or something. And, and I said, well, I said, I'll go check with the realtor. So I went and checked with the realtor, and the realtor says, yeah, we reimbursed you half that. Well, then I was embarrassed. I felt that, so anyway, I went back there, and uh, I was going to go in uh, and talk to her, but then I thought there was too many people there, so I went on home. And the next morning, I woke up and and I felt this, this, this sort of like a pressure in me that I had to go back and apologize to that lady. And so I went there, and it was packed again. And I thought, oh, I can't do this. With There's only two windows there, and everybody's going to hear me and everything. And I thought, I can't do this. And so I went back out, and I got out there. No, you've got to do it. So I went back in. And I said to the lady, I said, ma'am, I waited till it was my turn, thinking that I would get to the end of the line and everybody would be gone. But people kept on coming in, and it was just as crowded and full as it was when I started. So I said, ma'am, I said, I said, do you remember me? She says, yes. She says, I do. I said, I've come here to apologize. And um, I said, I, I am so sorry. I said, you were right all along, and then I asked for your supervisor, and I probably made you feel bad. So I said, and then I handed an envelope, because for some reason, I was impressed to take a $100 bill and put it in the envelope and give it to her. I didn't know what for, but I, I slid it under the window, and she slid it back. She said, what's that? I said, it's for you, ma'am. She said, oh, I can't take it. I said, oh, yes, I have to. I, you have to take it. So I, I push it in there, and then I turned around to go out. Well, I never heard anything until I was at the post office one day in Springfield. In a small town, everything gets around pretty quickly, I'm finding out. And uh, I was in the post office, and, and this fellow said, I've never seen him before. And he said, uh, hey, aren't you this new guy that moved in up here? I says, yes. And he said, oh, yeah. He says, hey, listen, I want to tell you something. He says, you can be upset with me anytime. <laughs> and I thought, wow. Now, that's amazing in a small town. But I, I, that, when I left that post office, I says, Lord, I would love to know what she needed the $100 for. I said, I'll probably never find out, but it's okay. I think God gives us opportunities every day of our life. We just don't know it. We don't sense it. We don't feel it. But we have 
an opportunity here to share with people what grace is all about. Unmerited favor. Nobody deserves it, but it's there freely for everyone. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you and praise you for all that you have done for us and all that you will do for us in the future. We thank you for everything. We thank you for being a God who keeps his word, a God that started a good work in us and will finish it. We appreciate everything that you're doing for us. And now, Father, we lift up this community to you. We lift up our ministry to the community. And we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will bless it and that you'll send us just the right ones who need to hear the wonderful message that you have for them. Help us to teach them to step out of the road of good intentions and go down the road and the pathway to grace. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.